Time Out for Mental Health podcast is where we speak to sports figures about their experience with mental health issues related to depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug. As detailed in my new book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Men in particular need support to ask for help when they feel off and don't know what's really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On the podcast, we want to uncover these issues so people can live a happy and healthy life, even if they do suffer from mental health issues. Our guests today are some very skilled women who play tabletop games together in the gaming industry. And they want to talk about depression, mental health issues, masculinity, and gender roles as it relates to their game. And that sounds very interesting. We're used to talking to NFL players or sports psychologists. And here we are with you women who really focus on your gaming and I was very impressed. You said you've been doing it for 10 years. That's very impressive. Um, so we're honored that our guests are with us today. And we have Matea, Tabitha, Catherine, Heather, and Rochelle. 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 I'll be fine. They're sharing their time with us today. And I want to ask how everybody's doing. Terrific. Good. there. Any crisis? Any crisis to deal with so far today? I've been, I've been hammered all week with crisis after crisis. I don't know what's up, but oh, I'd say I'm afraid to turn on the news at this point. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I should have paid attention to that before. Definitely. Yeah, you know, just some, you know, just the generalized anxiety of what the world is bringing upon our heads lately. It seems to be the most that we're facing. It sure is unknown. It sure is unknown. Crazy. But that's what makes life interesting as well. So so tell me, uh, you've been playing together for almost 10 years. And is there one certain game that you play or is there a variety of games? Like I said, I'm ignorant when it comes to gaming. So I got to rely on you. You guys have to clue me in here. <laughs> Mostly we play Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. I've heard of that. Yeah. So gaming in the current context has split into many media. So we have video games, and from there you have multiple player games. You have your board games like Scrabble and Yahtzee and the family-friendly ones. And then you have tabletop role-playing games, which is what Dungeons and Dragons is where each player creates a character and there's somebody who's orchestrating and telling the narrative and the plot and creating the conflict for the characters to face. Um, you also have LARPing, which is kind of like tabletop gaming, but you're acting everything out like improv. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. Kind of like paintball on fantasy. Yep. <laughs> there's also um, some people who do D Dungeons and Dragons online mm -hmm. using voice chat and uh, a simulated background similar to a video game. Hmm. Well, it's a whole new world for me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I guess I'm behind the times. I, I guess rolling dice went out of favor a long time ago or something. <laughs> anyway, it sounds great. And what I want to do is frame our discussion, and then we'll drill down into specifics. So as a result of playing these games, we're going to explore from a woman's point of view, topics such as collaboration, mental health, depression, masculinity, and we'll also touch on gender. Ladies, did you ever think you would be so knowledgeable regarding these topics from playing these games? No, it was, a, it was an interesting path that brought us here. Each of us has a different story, and yet it's, it's this weird collaborative way of expressing ourselves and working through problems that has united us as a group. Wow, that's, that's very good. 
I, I would also like to add that some of our experiences through gaming with masculinity and gender roles and assumptions, we didn't think these would become topics that would become, you know, shareable on a platform like this podcast. You know, it was kind of something we always talked amongst ourselves about and other women in the game. But now we feel like we can actually, you know, talk about these conflicts and these difficulties that we've faced playing D&D. When I first got into it, I was playing one guy character and one girl character, and I never imagined that the guy character would last longer, do better, whatever. <laughs> I never imagined what heroics the woman character would die in, all this <laughs> super dangerous stuff these people would go through that we here and now are not doing. So how did you know, like, at the, be at the beginning, did you, like, right from the get-go, know that this was going to be what you were going to do or you try it out a few times and then it was like wow this is this is really cool no was, for me there was these war games at the back of the shop going on and i said you know hey can i check it out and they said well we're doing it this special style where when we get to points of interest we're pretending to be these characters and doing these things i said oh wow can i be aragorn and i said sure kid <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, it was a high school teacher. She used alternative lesson plans on Fridays. Um, and senior year, the first semester was uh, a group reading from a book that was not part of the prescribed uh, curriculum. But the second part of senior year, she introduced tabletop gaming and problem solving through um, basically being heroes stuck with a problem and trying to figure it out. I got introduced to gaming through a tabletop game called Deadlands and a, a good friend of mine from high school who we reconnected in college and you know one weekend we had a really frustrating week and, and she said well let's go bang on some monsters so she came over and ran, ran a Deadlands game for me and that's how I got started in gaming. Cool. I started out doing Mario and Donkey Kong and Frogger back in the days just after they'd started having color screens. Our first computer had the amber monochrome monitor. <laughs> um, I first started playing tabletop games in college. I was in a group that was playing GURPS Cyberpunk. And after that, I tried a few others, the World of Darkness and Dungeons and Dragons and even Call of Cthulhu for a Halloween special. Uh, I started on Atari and, you know, computer games that were like the characters were a letter that you use the arrow keys to move around on. Roguelikes, A yes. game called Castle. <laughs> And uh, role-playing games was later when I was living in Washington. My roommates were playing Vampire the Masquerade, and they rolled me up a crazy Malkavian, and I had fun with that. And then we were playing D&D, &D and I played a kinder, hands in everybody's pockets all the time. Um, and it was fun. So I just kept playing when groups had openings. So this group came together in 2014. Because we all had a common friend named David Turner. It was earlier than that. It, it was way earlier than that. Well, I could go dig up the emails, but I was looking at it in 13, 14, but some of us know each other before that. Right. Yeah, we've known each other from different directions. Exactly. That's its own story. The overlap actually is amazing in another fashion. But whatever you want so to ask, I think. <laughs> so he was running a, a game that... It was supposed to be loosey-goosey, you know, drop in when you can, play when you can, uh, game. And about four months into it, he decided he needed to take his girlfriend at the time to Disney World. So he wasn't going to be able to prep the game. So Disneyland. he said, what? It was, <laughs> Disney was Disney World. World. <laughs> oh. So he uh, said, why don't you guys, here's an email thread. You know, write some stuff up in, you know, in preparation for the next game. And we said, okay. And uh, that kind of has exploded into this book and series of books that we are currently working on as well. 130-something emails in the first couple hours. <laughs> yeah, we were writing like mad women. He actually said, do you guys ever sleep? And we said, 
not anymore. <laughs> that was before I joined. We got worse. <laughs> so you guys derive a lot of fun out of this. Oh yeah. Right? oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I when we joined when I joined his game, I warned him the character I was creating had thirty years of backstory. He said, "Ah, oh, it'll never come up." When I joined his gaming, I was just coming off of having done seven years of LARPing. That's the live action role play where it's more like competing in a sport, but in a game of pretend. And my health couldn't do the running around up at the campsite in full armor and literally jogging up and down a mountainside while pretending you're in a battle. Uh, so coming back to sitting around a table on a comfy cushion was exactly what my health needed. And I'd been running a game with David before that. And when he split off and decided to run his own, he kept bugging me to join him. And I was like, no, no, no. Like months and months later, these guys all show up at a party I threw at my house and they're like, you're going to play with us. Fine. <laughs> And is there a, a type of particular style that a person can play or it's everybody plays a certain style or sky's the limit, man. Sky's the yeah, limit. Use your imagination. <laughs> Whatever you can think of, there's a way to do it some way. I've run yep. games that are very lighthearted. I've run games that are kind of cartoony. I've run other games that's like this is the kind of tale that soap operas dream to be of. I've run games where, you know, Wes Craven would look at me and go, are you sure you don't have a problem? Because this is really <laughs> frightening. And, <laughs> um, right now, Fifth Ed is really exploding in popularity. Back when Dungeons and Dragons originally came out and into the 80s and some, somewhat into the 90s, <laughs> uh, a lot of people associated it with only the geeks do it. Now, you have football players and actors and all mm -hmm. kinds of people playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Wrestling? Uh, yeah, wrestlers, wrestlers, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rock, The, the rock. rock plays it. He actually taught Dame Judi Dench how to play, and she plays it with her grandkids now. Oh wow, he's my favorite. Mm -hmm. He's a um, great guy. Yeah, he's, he's a big geek. <laughs> That's funny. There's so, always been this kind of male stereotype when it comes to tabletop gaming: the single, overweight. Cheeto stained uh, clothing lives in his parents' basement kind of uh, idea of what a geek or a gamer is, right. and it can't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Cool. A lot of uh, them are actually you know, fairly well off financially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gygax was a dad running games for his kids, so. Hmm. So, what did each of you have? Uh, an occasion that gave you extreme gratification that you, it was just so memorable that you'll never forget and you were like wow that was the greatest i have one where my character's act of kindness wiped out the next two or three modules yes. and there was a brand that had been put on her because they were trying to sacrifice her and it was going to allow them to control her and force her to commit crimes and we would get implicated into it. Oh. Turned out, I saw this lady, she's got this brand, she's going to have to spend the rest of her life looking at this when she gets dressed, worried about what her husband will think and so forth. So I went, well, I've got my tattoo needles here. Let's pick out a design together and cover that up for you. And it turned out that doing that took the magic out of the brand. And so she was not controlled after all. Cool. It's just about creative thinking and problem solving and more or less weaving a story together as a group. It's everything a kid would want out of a game of pretend, being able to see the same universe as their buddies and pick up a stick and call it a sword. But here it is where you're basically writing books together that you're not just reading, but you're living. Mm. I have a lot of memorable ones from what we consider both sides of the screen. So both as the 
game master telling the story and as a player participating in the story. I think my favorite bit of collaboration that my players planned up against me was I had a giant crawling spider-like monster that was trying to come out of a prison cell that it had been encapsulated in. And one of the players had the ability to knock it back in the pit. And the other one had, had an ability that says, you stay. So they basically forced the monster to stay in its pit until one of the other players who had the magic to close it could close it. And it was just amazing problem solving because I did not expect them to recapture it. I just expected them to take it on head on and we did not expect cool. to survive if that thing got one shot at us. <laughs> I also one time used create food to um, make a fruit cake as an improvised weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I had a time where uh, we'd been, oops, sorry. Uh, I'd had a time where we'd been given a platter of infinite food, but you could only take off the platter and have a meal three times a day. But it was key to whoever lifts up the platter. So we had a little problem where the village is being attacked by a dragon. I mean, is this not the classic story? Uh, so our group snuck up to where the dragons are and we saw that there were, there were wormlings, there were young dragons there. And I'm like, well, obviously their problem is they can't eat. Here I am a paladin, we don't need to kill anybody, they're just trying to eat. <laughs> uh, excuse me, do you have a food problem? I have a solution for you. <laughs> I can relate, I can relate. How about you, Rochelle? Uh, I am the troublemaker in the group. <laughs> I just... <laughs> cause the mischief that they all have to get out of. <laughs> cool. cool. Uh, one of her characters was uh, pickpocketing um, other players' characters in one of the games they were playing, so they had to booby trap their bags. It was a racial trait. The race just has their hands in everything. They can't help it. <laughs> one of her other characters is just He's just a guy. He just scares the crap out of everybody. Because <laughs> he's undead. <laughs> That's fine. So after you play, did anyone of you ever get down on yourself mentally or emotionally and feel that the game gamesmanship at this level was just too much, too challenging for you? All the time. Really? Yeah. She's broken down mid-game before. Really? Uh, so, I've, I've had times as the GM where I've had to pull somebody aside and have like a little management conversation about how can I do this better and what did I fail to miss? And, uh, and there's other times where I've gone, you know, I've gotten done with a table session and I've come back to one of the other gals. I said, was I playing my character correctly or was I being too flat? So yeah, you do sometimes second guess yourself if you're hitting the mark or not. I've had complete meltdown. I'm after the session uh as someone who is uh in touch with their feelings or i think some people call it empathic where you you can relate emotionally on a very real level i i feel what my characters feel if they're going through grief i'm going through grief all of the stages of it including looking back on it several days later and just starting to cry for no reason um if they're afraid of something i'm afraid of it so let me ask you, does that feeling linger with you for a while or? Yes, but it's kind of like putting a fast forward button on the process. You experience grief as if it's real, but even if you go through the nine or 12 stages or whatever it is, you might do so in a few months instead of a few years. And mm -hmm. you end up gaining strengths in reality because of what you've experienced in these games. Perspective. My teenage years were supported strongly by the invisible friends that these characters became. Mm. We've made people cry with our writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it just, it's, what I like about role playing is it gives you a safe environment to explore the a world that is different but yet has some similarities to your own where you can be completely opposite of yourself or you can ex experience certain emotions that 
in the real world you don't necessarily do. You know, you can have grief and you, your character can cry over what they've lost. And you can let yourself experience those stages without other people judging you and saying, oh, you're, you know, that's too much or your character really wouldn't feel that. It's like, no, that's really what my character would do. Uh, and you can be a hero. You can be stronger than you could be here or you could be more dexterous or more, more careful or more capable or just have uh, an affinity for teamwork that isn't provided to you here. You can play a different gender. You can play a different race. You can see any situation from a different point of view based off what kind of character you build. You want to build someone who doesn't feel anything and whose version of solving the problem is to hit it with a big stick. You're going to eventually learn what the repercussions of that violent out uh, surges end up being. Uh, you want to play uh, a dashing young guy who sleeps with every lady, you're eventually going to have people who say, by the way, you got seven kids. It's <laughs> <laughs> also a way for the, the GM who's running the story to work with their players through social issues, you know, things that are going on in the world. You know, you can retell it in other contexts like a lot of books do. You know, you take mm -hmm. something that's going on and you put it in this fantasy world and you, you know, you know, instead of, you know, the BLM movement, you, you know, orcs or something, you can, you just translate it into the world and you work through it. What are you going to say, Tabitha? Um, there's a lot that you can do because you can be whoever you want to be. And there's a lot of excitement in finding those parts of yourself in the character that you didn't even necessarily know were there. Or the other benefit I like is if you know yourself well enough and you know you have these weaknesses, you can build those weaknesses into the character and then have them work through making, you know, solving them or making them stronger or partnering up with somebody so that they those skills are met. Okay, so let me ask you, where does depression, where does that fit into this experience? Because I, I mean, it, you come off a game so heavy or you're in the middle of a game and you just. Can I fill this one? Should, yeah, I'll take on me. to your answer. I'll fit. Um, as someone who fights with depression regularly, and I know I probably don't look it because I put on the mask, the smile, the bright clothing, just like anybody else who's breaking inside, they try to put their best self forward and make others smile. My reality is not one I enjoy. I'm, I'm extremely low income. I struggle to keep food on my table. I have disabilities. Um, sometimes it feels like the entire world is out to get you. I, I may not be someone of a racial minority that's getting the hate because of the color of my skin, but I experience that as being someone overweight. I experience that as being someone special needs, as someone who's um, part of the LGBT community. And at the end of the day, sometimes I just, I want to be in bed all day. I don't want to wake up. I just want to dive into a book or a movie, but even then you're still anchored in that unhappy space. And when it comes to role-playing games, I get to step outside my own skin, sort of. I get to not be me for that hour or two or four, and I can be anything I want, whether that's the healthy person who runs around hitting things with a stick or the incredibly bright and brilliant wizard who can cast any spell or the person who solves a problem, even if it's just the roll of the dice determining that you succeeded, I'm not limited by the deck I got in reality. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah, I was just going to say that for me, role-playing gives you a chance to look at, you know, have insurmountable odds thrown at you and overcome them. It gives you a chance to feel the success from solving something or being part of a team or a community 
um, that is hugely, you know, beneficial that, you know, hey, if I can do this here in this game, maybe if I get the right people, I can also solve these other problems in my life, which is why these women have been so great in my life is that each of them has helped me out of a situation um, or, you know, an emotion. I have a generalized anxiety disorder and bipolar was recently diagnosed. So they're always there to go, hey, you know, go get some water, take a deep breath. But, you know, the thrill and the excitement and joy of, of winning the plot line that your GM has set up for you with their conflicts and coming out on top is such a huge boost. And then you take those same feelings and you, you know, you can take them out into the real world and go, okay, this problem I had, you know, yesterday, you know what? It doesn't look so big today. I just need to make it into smaller bits. That's super helpful. Um, also, there's a lot that you can do by catharsis and by experiencing joy within the game. Those um, neurochemicals and the way that it affects your mind and your body applies even if it's just in a fantasy game rather than in the real world. Those chemicals are real and they really change how you feel, how you live. Oh yeah. You I'll come at it from a science angle. Um, they've actually done studies. Um, there's a much higher rate of diagnosis of depression among people who game, but a much lower suicide rate. And they think the reason for that is um, people who are depressed go get into gaming to help address the depression rather than people who game are depressed because they're gaming. It's the opposite. They start gaming because they're depressed and it helps with it. It's a form of self-medication, if you will. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. That's, I have... that's what science says. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I we shouldn't fully sugarcoat it. Uh, gaming can be rather addictive, just like any sport that has an adrenaline rush. There is an aspect of it that your body wants again, whether it's the endorphins and the happy um, brain chemicals or the pitter patter of your heart, as the GM describes a dragon landing on the house you're in front of. Um, in any case, it's a skyscraper. <laughs> it's the same as bungee jumping. There's a thrill to it, and you're going to want to come back again and again. Also, there's an aspect that I want to bring up that people sometimes think, oh, well, you know, I'll get into gaming. It's going to be a cheap hobby. It's not necessarily cheap. You could, you can do it inexpensively, but in some cases, it's, it's like a good therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you do, you do pay for it in some aspects. The books are kind of expensive. I'm going to speak yeah. up for the keep on keeping on side. Just because something is something you can deal with doesn't mean it's always going to be, uh, wow, I get to go skydiving. I mean, I, one of my characters I created because I wanted to come up with someone who would shape the way that I was thinking or concerned about a friend in my gaming group at the time uh, had gone off to war, and the last we that was the last we ever saw of him. He was a good guy. He was very patriotic, wanted to serve his country or whatever. All we ever heard after is that he didn't. He he was he never returned home. And what sort of circumstance could have happened in a gaming world and a fantasy land that would be that drastic that in a world full of magical healing and special powers that people still don't come back it still happens so i want to create a character that had that to deal with in their life and just keep on keeping on it's still a valid point of view it's it's how one lives life so you can say is it safe to say that y'all get help from each other when you have personal issue absolutely hmm? absolutely yeah. absolutely and and so you have that dynamic and how does that compare to if you feel outside of this group that you, you need to see somebody to get help whether it's a support group or a professional 
has this helped or hindered that situation? A little bit of both. <laughs> um, as someone who is, again, dealing with a lot of problems, uh, one of the hurdles is being on the lowest form of health insurance and getting bounced around from what provider you have, what doctors you have, getting the services you need. Uh, they, I'm off my depression medication and they refuse to give it to me because I now have to start from square one and go through having a new uh, psych doctor, including their multi-month period of figuring out if they want to give us meds, at, give, give you meds at all. And um, so in the interim, this is my support network. I need to talk to someone. I need to cry to someone. These are the people I go to. But also because I have that support network, maybe I drag my feet at actually doing the follow-ups with the doctors because COVID is going on and it's hard enough to get an appointment as is. And then we advocate for you and make you go keep your appointments and shit. <laughs> exactly. Hold you accountable. Over, so, the, yeah. over the several years, there have been plenty of times where I hermited myself into my house and cut off all ties with everybody, including these this group of women. And they would show up at my door, knocking it down and dragging me out to lunch. Good. I don't know about knocking it down, but dude, tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. <laughs> um, Some of them. Yeah, we have, have keys. keys. We just come in. <laughs> so for um, me, I I describe it as. Uh, I have a five-tier uh, group of, you know, addressing my issues. I've got my doctors who prescribe the meds. I've got my doctors who give me the tools to deal with it. I've got my dog, who's a service dog, and I have these friends. So, like... Oh, you froze. You've <laughs> <laughs> lost your feed. So... Um, I have gone to therapy and have also been prescribed medication for my ADHD and bipolar. Um, it's helped a great deal with my focus and with getting out of the dark depression that I was in, especially after I broke up with my previous boyfriend. Everybody here was super, super supportive. Um, one time... Um, Mattia and I had a little bit of a interpersonal relationship issue and I'm like she loves spreadsheets so I created a spreadsheet of this is what's going on this is what something I'd like you to do if this happens and so forth and she took that to her therapist and she's like wow this is amazing <laughs> Well, Whatever tools work, right? Fill the toolbox. It's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting because um, in my book, we address, we address it from a male standpoint. And it's mm -hmm. so hard for men to come forward and talk about their feelings or emotions or trust another man with their deep, dark secrets um, you know, there's a stigma attached to it. So this, I see this, your group is a very healthy thing to either work it out amongst yourselves or, Matea, welcome back, or, um, you know, helping each other, like you said, hold people accountable to getting the help that they need. So um, I think that's great. I think it's great. Actually... In several of the other non-D&D games that I've been in, a lot of the men have approached me effectively as a, um unpaid therapist, so to speak. <laughs> they right. tell me their relationship problems. They kind of cry on my shoulder. because I guess because I'm a woman, so it feels safer than with other men. For that matter, in-game, a lot of times in World of Warcraft, the tanks, when they wanted to gear up one of their DPS, they had trouble finding somebody to help them. And so I was kind of the go-to person of, if anybody needs anything, just talk to Tabitha. <laughs> and I'll find somebody to help you or I'll help you myself. 
We had um, one person had posted on the forum that they couldn't get past a particular the first boss in a particular um, dungeon, and because they kept dying to the thing knocking them back. So a tank friend who is in my guild walked them through that dungeon a half dozen times and showed them exactly where to stand and got them to they had it down pat. Cool, cool. Let's talk about your nuclear family for a second. Um, how, how would you characterize your father as a man? Was he, was he a tough guy? Did he ever show love, discuss emotions or feelings? How was that for you? I'm going to start with this one. Um, my father, even though he didn't, when you know, wasn't an adult in the fifties, he carried a lot of the fifties mentality. You know, I'm the provider. I go out, I'm, I work, I bring home the money and you kids just behave yourselves and, you know, don't be a bother. And, and he, and, you know, he was kind of a John Wayne esque type guy. He didn't really show emotions and, you know, he, uh, he, he cared about us kids, but, you know, even up to the point when, when he was dying, I even had to ask him if he actually loved me. He was not very expressive. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, as time has gone by, I've seen how he actually showed that, but it just it never translated to me. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, my dad was very distant, but he cared. Um, he, he wasn't home a lot. He, when I was very young, he worked as a, as a trucker, so he was on the road. Um, and then he was working for an airline as a mechanic. So he was, he was often at work. Um, usually he worked nights, so he was asleep during the day. So we had to be quiet in the house. Um, but he's, he's very loving. He's retired now. He's going through some medical problems of his own, but he's always checking up on me. Um, He's always, always willing to, to help if I ask. So he's, he's always been there. Nice. My, my dad was amazing, or at least he is in my eyes. Um, there was a point in my childhood where the diagnoses were coming through uh, on me, and they'd send us to family therapy or uh, various different things. And if my dad showed up to pick me up, it was like the doctors would freak out that I still had both parents because they were so used to seeing special needs kids with only their mom. Hmm. And um, my dad had the kind of full-time providing work that would have him out of the house. We, he'd be gone before the kids woke up. He might miss dinner and come home just as we were being put to bed. Um, and his work was to do with um, like OSHA regulations at chemical companies. He was the director of environmental and safety at uh, several places. And uh, if they had any sort of issue, he'd be stuck at work for literally three days on end. Mom would bring meals and changes of clothes to his office. Um, there was a disconnection between having a father figure there and being a kid. And so we set up something in our family we called Me Days, which is where the parent would partner off with one of the two kids, because I have a sister, and would spend part of the day just hanging out and doing cool, fun activities with them and bonding again. That's cool. And it helped a lot. Anybody else? My father's very, very intellectual. He was a teacher for part of my, in most of my childhood. He also had a severe uh, disability due to his tendons and ligaments getting pretty much wrecked. Um, he was very positive um, figure of masculinity. Uh, in a positive way, he believed in, he did most of the cooking. Um, he never tried to talk down to me in terms of saying that girls can't do math, girls can't do science. He, he had me helping him with soldering memory onto the motherboard when I was <laughs> a little kid. Um, and he was always really gung-ho for me to learn and to show what I was doing. He was super supportive when I was in 4-H. If there was a project I wanted to do and there wasn't a leader, he was leader. 
Um, however, there were some negative things and ways that he treated me and my brother very differently that I believe were very gender oriented. Heather, do you want my to say dad, My dad um, got me into computer programming, I dare say, before I learned English. Um, <laughs> I, I used to joke that technese is my first language and English my second, and right after that is cat. <laughs> um, <laughs> that we got into board games that were oriented towards uh, replicating uh, the the wars of the past, Rommel and Panzerblitz. Uh, I mean, yeah, we played this board game called Risk, but it's kind of this cheap math joke almost. Uh, you know, play cards and little oblongs kind of make up you know frankly football is a better representation <laughs> but we got into we he passed by a game shop with his pal george one day and he looked in the back and he's looking around and stuff and he's like hey this is cool so he brought me by the next week and that's how i got into role playing oh, wow. what's going on in the back there that's what that was, was going on my dad's attitude towards honor is very shaped by his time in the military uh his uh, preference for stories to read and so on is shaped by something that would attract someone who's that kind of reader. Uh, I, I frankly was for the most, perhaps the first seven to ten years of my life, my father's only son. <laughs> I, they still be true because he actually, my family only has girls. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I was the tomboy for my dad as well. I was the one who'd go fishing. I was the one that helped build the back deck, um, all that stuff. Oh, my dad's had a broken back for like forever, so I did all those strongman things. Michelle, did you want to say something? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, so having said all that about personally, about masculinity, now let's talk about the gaming that you do. How does masculinity show up in this uh, gaming fun that you ladies have? Well, especially for some of the uh, non-player characters, the kind of characters you put in your world to shape your world and have your, your, your story progress through or around. Sometimes you pull on the stereotypes. You build the brute who's not exactly smart or whose immediate reaction is to hit it with violence. But sometimes you go completely the other way. You pull on the stereotype of the old guy with glasses who's wise and has the solution but wants to help you figure it out yourself. Okay. All of these different um, types of men can be portrayed in the gaming world just like you'd find in reality each as complex as the next okay yeah, we try not to rely on the trope so much as make them all their own person mm -hmm. i think the biggest and i and rochelle can now can tag in on this one the <laughs> biggest frustrating part that a player can have is when they're playing a, a character who is not of the same sex as a player hmm. and yeah. <laughs> she her her uh undead character spent basically the first three months of his life going how big of a cod piece do i need because every time <laughs> someone said down it is she and and nobody could get his name right and it, so we eventually got that solved but it became this amusing game going on, like, okay, I get it. I'm going to go back to the armorers. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that's the problem you run into playing in person, whereas you have the opposite problem if you're playing online, where if you're playing a dude, and if you're doing it right, they don't know it's a girl at the keyboard unless you say something. And that I'm can a have tenor. A they won't know it when I say something. <laughs> I'm, I play in like five different games right now, one of which is completely online and text-based, so you don't even have the voice to give you the tip-off of the gender of the player. And the world has 140 players in it. And, you know, you run into guys, you run into girls, and you, you have no clue who's behind the screen actually typing that character. And they're... I'm always amazed when I do run into someone in voice chat and I'm like, oh, that was a girl character. I've been interacting with this girl. She's totally a girl. And then I hear a guy's voice. 
or the exact opposite uh that guy is so masculine he is the dude's dude he's the bro he'll under he'll drink you under the table he'll he'll spar with you for no reason and then it's this mousy girl's voice that i'm just like oh my god i got tricked yeah it's it's actually been really remarkable in the last few years of the gaming you know environment because you know Back in the 70s and 80s, when D&D was just in its infantile stage, it was a guy's game. Heather is probably one of maybe a handful of girls who got started on the early end of it. Uh, you can probably credit my dad for being willing to take me to things. When so, our no, what, uh, what is publicly acknowledged is the guys, girls were playing it just as much. When you our know, my high school were playing it, my friends' older, older siblings were playing it. Girls were playing it just as much. They just didn't get into the news. There we go. When, when our group started to get formed under David, when he put his game together at first, uh, every single week there was a joke about how we were the white unicorn, a group that had a guy DM and all female players, or at least predominantly female players. And none of us are his girlfriend and getting special bennies because of it or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point, his girlfriend doesn't even like to play. <laughs> at one point, he had nine players at the table, only one of which was a male other than himself. But that male is playing a female. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, at least I... two of the girls were playing guys. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Tabitha. When I was um, playing um, various games, I often had people try to say that I couldn't be a woman because women don't play those games. Uh, also, especially in World of Warcraft, um, some guys would use rape to do it as the term when they got killed or killed somebody. And so I asked them, please don't talk it don't use that in that way it's really offensive it's really upsetting you know and i had to try to kind of balance the being emphatic about it enough to get them to stop but without berating them or something like that and as i, I mentioned um some guys kind of seemed like they wanted to have go out and kill dragons for the maiden and so i was the maiden uh other times like i said they would be treat me as an impromptu therapist all right so you've all shared about various mental health issues um taking a look at yourself as a woman how would you characterize yourself are you easygoing uh tough or you know any yelling and screaming what what's your what's in your repertoire <laughs> i think we're all a mixed bag i was gonna say people are more complex than just a simple description we've all had our bad moments we've all raised our voices we've all cried for what seemed like no reason but um that th those few moments don't define you and what you are the rest of the time isn't who you are all the time either. People are complex individuals, each unique to themselves. I almost want to answer your question two completely different directions. <laughs> because to answer the way that you begin it is I don't describe myself as a woman. I don't describe myself at all. As a teenager, I actually avoided describing myself at all to anyone which nearly made me invisible, like to the order of that I could wave my arms over my head and not get served with coffee at the restaurant. But I was being so mousy. It was not to my advantage to, to be around, to be heard, to be saying anything. And I don't think that was really about being a man or a woman. That was about existing. It was just, this is not a safe world to be in. I was the uh, I was the tomboy. Uh, I'd be the one digging worms up before the camping trip, the one covered in mud that would sometimes wear their clothing to school backwards because it would get stained halfway through the day and I could rotate it. Uh, I was the... Catherine, let, let's share. Let's have some of the other ladies. Have a sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say... Sorry, Tabby, go ahead. You haven't talked much. 
So I found that it's, I'm generally talk, describe myself as a social butterfly who occasionally has to curl up into my cocoon. When I was young, I got bullied a lot, and so I believed nobody liked me, and nobody wanted to be around me, and they were only around me and being nice to me because they were such kind people. Then I started doing 4-H and was giving presentations and was t learning how to do leadership stuff. In my senior year of high school, I was picked as both the friendliest and the most studious girl in my graduating class. That gave me such a huge confidence boost going into college. And now, whenever I see somebody looking a little lost in an event, I try to approach them and draw them out and help them feel included. I love helping people and explaining things to people. Heck, you know how people complain all the time about how horrible the drivers are and everybody's so nasty. Me? Everybody gives me smiles and waves and thank yous because I let them in in front of me and it only takes an extra two or three minutes right. overall from one end to the other at the very most. All you have to do is be considerate. If somebody's coming up behind me in my rear view mirror and there's a car next to them, then I know one or the other of them is going to want to be in front of me. So I slow down a little bit or I get over it and make room for them. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, for, for me, like my childhood in high school and even some of my university work, I be, became a woman who is just get the project done. I don't care what steps we have to take. Let's just manage it. Let's get it done. We have, we have a time limit. We have a grade to depend on. When I got into business school, I realized how detrimental that was for the working environment. And I've worked on it some uh it's a constant battle for me because i constantly just want to throw the stuff in the pot and get it done and move on i constantly want to check the thing off the to-do list and i gotta remind myself all the time that no you need to wait wait for the other people wait for the other gals wait for this you can't just go making this decision today even though it seems simple <laughs> to you there's something you're not seeing just wait for somebody else to come in I'm the instigator. I'm the one that makes all the plans and drags people all the places and I know all the people <laughs> end up connecting folks. It's cool. I have it's lots cool. of lots of odd connections and I can't almost can't go anywhere without running into somebody I know. Often to the people who I'm with are going, wait, you know that person? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I managed that too. Some a friend of mine who's a private pilot once said if we skidded to an almost crash landing in someone's cornfield in the middle of nowhere. It would turn out like the daughter of the owner of the local general store is someone I know through this thing. The next <laughs> thing you know, we'd end up on couches. Yep. So, <laughs> so uh, you touched on this a little before about gender, and I want to find out what role that gender plays in your gaming experience and, and how you deal with it. Well, Unlike a lot of women who've had a lot of gatekeeping and criticism about you, you can't play because you're a girl, most of the time people have been very respectful and very open to playing with me. There's been a few exceptions, but generally it's been positive being a woman who games. And some people have guys mansplaining or trying to talk over them. Me, I wound up being the raid leader in a lot of uh, a lot of the time, even though it was somebody else had actually done the organizing. Because, well, they actually listen to you because you're a woman. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stories out there about people having issues with gaming because of their gender. I've never experienced it myself. Um, the people who got me into RPGs, half of them were guys. Um, I mean, it's just, it's never been an issue with any of the groups I've played with. It I, I, more in more in video games than in tabletop. I've been more the kind who was like memorizing the rule books and stuff, so I was often the person who was introducing other people to games. Um, maybe this is just that my dad was into computers and we were into those kind of games early on. I mean, the tan books, the the handouts that attach to these tabletop, well, 
when I got into this type of role playing, tabletop meant the little miniatures pretending to be Napoleonics. I and think some role playing game was Attack On. But I think some of it is also just where we're from. Um, yeah, we're in a, I mean, you know, we're, we live, we live, and have grown up in a very diverse area where there's a lot less of these issues. Um, is people true. in other places might see more of this. I think I I can speak from a perspective of being the newbie coming into town. When I first moved to the Bay Area, even though my family has long ties to the Bay Area, uh, I started playing in what's called organized uh, tabletop gaming, which is run through Watsi. And um, and I got some judgment sometimes, you know, either on the GM side or on the player side of, oh, how can you do that? And, you know, questions of, you know, was I running the rule correctly or was I, you know, was my stats correct? So, you know, there was a lot of having to kind of prove myself at the table that, you know, some of the other guys wouldn't have had because they're guys. But I always came out and proved myself and, you know, showed them what it is. And after a while, I, I just kind of gained, gained a reputation as being a cool player. And, yeah, you want her at your table. I bought their respect with food. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, I every, the GM. almost every game I started off in was a group of five guys. And I was the only woman in the entire house. And um, I just would bring food and eventually I was just one of the guys. I did have one circumstance where there was a really sexist circumstance at the table. Uh, we're all playing Shadowrun, which is a very uh, high sci-fi sci kind of game. Uh, and, you know, we're in this far future and Seattle's become this metropolis techno place kind of thing going on. And the game, we're gaming at somebody's pretty posh living room actually you know they're like they're a nice two-story house on the, in, in the nice side of town or whatever and all of us players there it's like i'm the only girl the person who's game mastering uh all the people who are playing are old friends of his who've either moved back to town or they like been working at different places and they got back together uh he pulls this thing where uh, we're all going to be invited to some special dance party where we're going to get some important clues for the next session of gaming. And he says, you know, hey, your fixer says you have to dress up as women to get into this, this dance. Okay. Uh, and then he decides to tell us that he's going to knock us all out. Ooh. Yeah, so mysteriously, the next session of the game, nobody shows. I think the guys had a message for him. <laughs> <laughs> so from your perspective, I'm curious to know how you all look, how you describe masculinity. Masculinity can take a lot of different forms. Um, and most of the men I've interacted with, especially as an adult, have been very, very positive. They're respectful. They pay attention to me. I've heard a lot of women say, oh, well, guys can't read body language. Guys don't show their feelings. Guys don't this. Guys don't that. And it's like, well, they do with me. So maybe you need to meet better guys, or maybe you can help them to be able to show that side of themselves by making it feel, them feel safe to do so. Anybody else? I think that the way I describe masculinity is, is that they're a partner to, you know, they should... Uh, collaborate with you. It's not he does all this and I do all this. It, it's really a teamwork type thing and D&D &D really shows that well because if you're in battle and someone's trying to hog all the glory then guess what? He's going to get taken out soon and then you're down a player and then you're down a character and it's harder to fight the dragon. Uh, so it's really just you know, a strong personality, intelligent, and willing to step in and, and pick up 
the pieces when needed. And if they need a shoulder to cry on or they need to express an emotion, they should be free to do so. Because that's human. It's not, it's not any less manly to do. My visions of masculinity come from a lot of the stories that I was reading as a kid. I think a lot of those tales were aimed at Boy Scouts. Uh, so you've got uh, Heinlein saying that a, uh, a reasonable man should be able to do this and that and the other thing and the other mm -hmm. other thing and this and this and that and the other thing and specialization, it's for insects. A bug can do one thing, a man can do everything. But you get into this feeling, can I actually do everything? No, I need to be able to, to lead, to pull together a team. He could do this, she could do that, he could do the other thing. You, you, can't, you can't do all the things, it'll crush you. Um, but also visions like John Wayne's, I don't know about John Wayne the actor, never met him. Mm. You know, but the Duke, the character, that's like, you know, he's the hero, he tips his hat. He's like, well, I'm going to see this important doctor. It's a woman? Well, all right, but we're going on safari. She's like, good, let me get my gun. <laughs> I think, I think the last, you know. <laughs> I the, think masculinity is uh, often seen as the guy has to appear strong. Whether that is physically or emotionally stable, they have to appear to have everything working everything going for them also mr rogers. not healthy yeah <laughs> yep. mr rogers lavar burton those are excellent examples of good masculinity agreed yep and bob ross i have I have a personal example of very positive masculinity. Back in junior high, I had had to go back to school um, with the same kids who used to bully me and beat me up after I had been at a different school for several years. And so I wouldn't let them within arm's reach of me if I could possibly avoid it. I would literally run across the room to get away from them. and. So they started teasing me and setting me off deliberately and kind of bullying me, but without any physical stuff going on. One of them came to me and asked, well, why are you doing this? What, why are you running away from us? And I said, well, a bunch of them used to beat me up and, he, um, and I'm still scared of them. And they chased me around and stuff. And I don't know what he said to them, but he got all of them to pitch in their change. This was back when allowance was like a dollar at most. They all got together, bought me a box of seized chocolates, and apologized to me and shook my hand. And I um, went ahead and shared the chocolates with them. And from then on, I don't recall any bullying from any of them and especially once I went on the track team they were all super 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 supportive of me and uh, I was the only girl doing the two mile so they sometimes would lap me so each time they went around and they passed me they'd kind of cheer me up pace me for a little breather, cheer me on, and then go off again. <laughs> and even the guys from other schools would do this. Cool. All right, ladies, we're going to wrap up. This has been great. I just want to give you a final opportunity if there's anything uh, else you want to say, any final thoughts. Yeah, I would say, you know, don't believe the, the stereotypes and the and the stories about D&D &D and tabletop playing, go to your local hobby shop, pick up a book, grab your friends, get together, roll some dice, and just learn to be creative and free and just enjoy yourself. I've got a thought. For a final thought, I've got nothing's your final thought. If you're still in the story, you're still writing your own. Go for it. Be in charge of you. Um, a lot. No, Tabby, you go. A lot of men say nasty things about other men. Basically, oh, men only want one thing, men this, men that. And I think they're doing themselves and each other a huge injustice there. And also, a lot of them are only feel safe being emotional with women 
and I really hope that men can express their emotions with each other and I think that gaming is one route that some men do take in that they can really explore their emotions in a safe way without getting judged for it. Great. Catherine? Um, as someone who's been low enough to try to take their own life at one point, uh, thankfully that failed. My, my advice to any guy out there struggling with anything is don't be afraid to ask for help. And if there's even one tiny aspect of the world that you still love, hold on to it. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. In my book, that's exactly the thesis of my book, is it's okay to ask for help. It's not going to kill you. We don't have to go through life alone. Yeah. My brother was suicidal. He had more severe bipolar than I do, and he had to actually get um, put into a juvenile institution a couple of times because of that, and he was really acting out. And I, I tried to help as much as I could, but there's not very much as a child and as his sister that I could do in a lot of cases. And I, I really wish that he had been able to find more, um, more positive male role models earlier because once he did, the suicidal tendencies compl almost completely vanished. He was able to turn his life around, get start doing better in school. He wound up deciding to serve in the military and that just was so transformative for him. Great. Michelle, are you gonna take us home? Um gonna bring it back to you know a lot of people that are, are still looking up to, you know, celebrities and these, you know, manly men. Finn Diesel, The Rock, uh Joe Magliano, they all play D and D. Is that right? you know, they're all they're all gamers <laughs> so there's there's a whole other side to these these people that you know you don't necessarily see excellent well i want to thank you ladies and i look forward to continuing our dialogue moving forward so i can learn from you so that i can help others thanks again ladies it was quite interesting Listeners, please look out for the Time Out for Mental Health podcast where you get your podcasts and keep your eyes out for my new book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. And that's a wrap. How'd we do, Doris? Fantastic. You all did a great job. Do you want to, speaking of which, do you want to debrief on Discord after this? Uh, and let me have a, a quick talk with Tim, quick check that in with Tim. That would be wonderful. Do you have time? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, give me just like a few minutes. It was a okay. pleasure, Tim. All right. Yeah. It was a pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much. Anytime. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Uh, at the very beginning, there was a spot of light that kept kind of covering your mouth. It <laughs> almost made it like uh, your face disappeared for a second. So I um, sent it. He, he has a fabulous yeah. producer who knows how to deal with such things. Thank God. Okay. Thank God. If you're ever interested in finding a uh, <laughs> midpoint between like gamers and how they're experiencing these different aspects of life and sports, Look into talking to some people who do LARPing. <laughs>